You may be seated. We'll have to tell you, I love that song. Great song. Great song. Good to have everybody here today. Today, I'm going to step aside from our Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to enter into the political fray. I am crazy, aren't I? I don't know if this is wise or not, but I do believe it is necessary. Now, before the election, I will be addressing two topics. One today on unity. Hmm. You know, I did that. It's united, but it should say unity, but that's okay. (laughs) That was my fault. Nobody else's. And another topic in two weeks called tension. Both of these words have the same meaning, united and unity. Well, pretty close. So, in just 16 days... This country will go to the polls to elect their new president. And as a witness to many campaigns, this has been one of the most divisive and most vitriolic political seasons in our country's history. Our nation is filled with anger and with fear. And here's something, here's something all of us know. Nothing divides like politics and nothing divides like fear. And since we know this to be true, I want to ask you a question. How would Jesus want us, his followers, his children, the faithful saints, to behave and respond during this time, before this time, and even after the upcoming election? How would you answer that question? I want you to know that much of what I'm going to say today is not my own. I'm not a political expert. I've kind of gleaned some stuff from different places. But many of these ideas are not original with me. But I do want you to know that this is from my heart and from my study. And do not forget, do not forget that whatever happens on Tuesday, November the 3rd, God is ultimately in control. God is ultimately in control. You may remember this passage from David, from Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4, that says this, The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and He gives them to anyone He wishes. That ought to give us great assurance, but it also ought to give us some fear. To know that God is the one who sets individuals over kingdoms to fulfill His purposes, His purposes of righteousness and justice and mercy. Or, or He sets kingdoms over men for His purpose of bringing judgment upon nations for their failures of righteousness, justice, and mercy. Here's something one figures out pretty quickly when reading the Hebrew Scriptures. God judges nations in time. God judges nations in time. Nations rise and fall because of God's sovereign hand. God places leaders where He desires them to fulfill His purpose. And as for you and me, as for you and me, Jesus will judge all mankind on the day He returns. 
Matthew 16 says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. God judges in time, but Jesus will judge the works of man on the day of his return. So, whatever happens, whatever happens, God's hand will be in the decision on Tuesday, November the 3rd. Now, brothers and sisters, like I said, there's nothing that divides like politics, and there's also nothing that divides like fear. If my, if my political candidate is not victorious on November the 3rd, we often feel a loss of control, a loss of opportunity, or a loss of a way of life. And the progress of our country and where it's headed and where it will go, we often think, if my political candidate is not elected, the world may come to an end as I know it. It's kind of how we think. Here's a question for everyone. How many of us have placed our faith in a candidate or political party and not in the one who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men? Now, from what I see, from what I see on social media and in news articles across this nation, many of us have placed our faith in the candidate who will occupy the White House in 2021 and not in our Savior. And I'd also like to remind everybody about something here at Lake Homa. Okay? If you're looking for a church, where politically we are all the same, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. There are many different political views in this body of believers, and I love that we are politically diverse. Here's why. Because we have the opportunity to model in this town and in our surrounding area how to disagree politically while still loving each other unconditionally. Now, let me say that again. Put it on the screen. We have the opportunity to model how to disagree politically while loving each other unconditionally. Now, don't answer this question out loud, okay? All right, here's one of those. Don't answer this out loud. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And do you think you can do this? Do you think you can disagree politically while loving others unconditionally? Now, I don't mean just tolerate your brothers and sisters in Christ by giving them an eye roll when you have a political discussion with them. No, I'm talking about loving them in a manner that Christ called us to love one another. So here's, here's some questions I'm going to be asking over the next couple of weeks. Are we willing to evaluate our politics through the filter of faith in Christ rather than create a version of faith that supports our po political view? Is it even possible for you and for me to make Jesus our politics? What would it take for us to say with confidence, Jesus is my politics? Are we willing to place our political filters behind instead of in front of Jesus? 
And am I willing to follow Jesus even if it means creating space between me and my political views? I can tell you that most people were not able to do this. We're not willing to in this current climate, are we? That I'm even speaking on this topic makes some of you tense and anxious, does it not? There are just some things a preacher should not talk about, you may say. This tension, this division that we're seeing in our country, Jesus saw it coming. He saw it coming. Jesus understood that there was one thing that would harm the church more than anything else, and he prayed for it. In John 17, Jesus begins to pray in the upper room. He has spent his Passover meal, this Passover meal, encouraging his disciples, the eleven, all huddled together around on this very foreboding evening. Jesus has instituted a new covenant, a new command, love one another as I have loved you. He has spoken about the comforter, about the teacher, about the counselor, about the Holy Spirit, which will aid the apostles in their lives as believers. And then, after doing all of that, he leads a prayer in the upper room. Right before he heads to the garden to pray some more on his behalf. But while in that upper room, it's a prayer for all of you and us and his fellow disciples. So, is this, important, is this an important prayer? Is this an important prayer? These are the final words of Jesus before his death. Is this an important prayer? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes. And what was his prayer about for believers? He prayed for what? Unity. Unity. That all may be one. It was his main objective. Why? Because Jesus knew that the most harmful characteristic to his church would be division. Division is the one characteristic which has the potential to divide and to destroy his church. Is this not true? Deb and I are reading a book in our drive time when we're out driving doing stuff. It's called The History of the Churches of Christ in Oklahoma by David Baird a historian at Oklahoma University, and he's from our tribe. Brothers and sisters, it's not a flattering look at our tradition in this movement. We, who wanted to throw off all the creeds and just follow the Bible, have divided to the point to where 1,500 members a month were losing that many. We bicker about everything, and it's harmed our movement, and it's harmed Christ's church. And our children and our grandchildren are choosing other faith traditions if they're choosing another faith tradition at all. Over the past 30 years, our movement has lost over a half a million congregants, a half a million. I'm told now that we're losing almost 2,000 members a month. And so I ask the question, do you understand why unity 
is the cry of our Savior on the night of his arrest? Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. It is obvious that Jesus wanted his followers to have the same togetherness and oneness as Jesus had with his Father and the Father had with him. So what did Jesus know that we don't know? What does Jesus know that we don't know? What did Jesus know that we don't? Jesus understood that the greatest threat to, is not politics to his church. The greatest threat is not the external forces to his church. It is not who's going to be the next president to the church. The greatest threat to Christ's church is discord, discord, division, disagreement, and dissension. Is it not? Jesus continues, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Get that again. Listen to that. I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus, again, comes back to the idea of the unity between Father and Son, using the imagery of that oneness. Does this sound impossible? Jesus says it's not only possible, it is imperative. It's imperative. Why was this so important to Jesus? Why was this so important to Jesus? Why did Jesus spend a significant portion of his prayer speaking about unity and not missions and not evangelism and not serving others? Why? Look at the rest of the verse. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world may believe. The only way this world will believe is if there is unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. Our churches must have unity in the midst of diversity. It is, the, it, is this not the greatest challenge to our churches? In other words, the church will not sacrifice our unity for anything. For anything. What if? What if? What if? What if this town and the larger city around us looked at us and said, I've never seen anything like it? This church is so eclectic, so diverse. And they love all people, no matter their background, no matter their political ideology. They are unified in diversity. And you may ask, well, what does that look like? Glad you asked. Look at John chapter 13, verses 34, 33 through 35. Jesus give, has given his disciples a new commandment, new marching orders in this new kingdom of his. And here it is. A new commandment I give to you that you do what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by this all people will know. By this all people will know. Let me say it again. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if, if, if you have love for one another. That little word, if, 
The little word that is conditional and is based on one's state, state of mind and one's actions. All people will know if. Now back in John 17, that was in, still in the upper room, but that was in John 13. Back in John 17, Jesus is instituting a new worldview for his followers, a new way of seeing the world and those who will be part of his kingdom. All will know if we are followers of Jesus if we do what? All will know if we are followers of Jesus if we do what? If we love one another. Look at this verse as he continues in John chapter 17. The glory that you have given me, I have given it to them, that they be, may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be completely and perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Brothers and sisters, everything hinges on unity. Unity of purpose on Jesus Christ, does it not? This unity is not about politics. It's not about culture. It's not about language. It's not about how one worships or when they meet or if there's one cup or if there's many. The reason our fellowship is dying is because unity in diversity is not something we tolerate well. Is that not true? I know that's hard. Many of us just pick up our ball and we just go home when we get upset. Here's the amazing thing about this call to unity. It happened. It happened. This call to unity actually happened. Go back to the first pages of the book of Acts. There was one purpose, one message, one command. The believers had everything in common, and the church grew. So your candidate, your candidate, whoever that may be, will win or lose based on how America, American citizens will vote on Tuesday, November the 3rd. Listen, but the church will win or lose based on our behavior today and every single day following this election. How we love each other and how we love our neighbors who may totally disagree with us politically on our po in our point of view, I will say it again, we must not let anything divide us, and we must not let anyone divide us. It was Mahatma Gandhi that said this, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. As a nine-year-old, <clears throat> I remember having the flu and watching the funeral of Dwight D. Eisenhower, our 34th president, from the couch in my living room. He was a president when I was born. We are now on our 45th president, and my life has witnessed both Democratic and Republican presidents. In every four years, Every four years, I see this nation divided by fear. We act and we live as if we don't know the one who oversees and who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. 
Jesus said this. He said, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. We're part of a kingdom, a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God, an everlasting kingdom which cannot be shaken. It is in this kingdom where our trust should be focused. What we have on this earth right now is temporary political kingdoms which will not last. So, why would you allow, why would we, why would we allow ourselves to be divided by fear? Why would we allow our political view to divide us and divide us from each other? Why would we not fight for and struggle for the unity that our king prayed for? Why would we allow any political view to divide us from the person and mission of Jesus Christ? Well, because my political view is godly and theirs is not. Well, brothers and sisters, believe what you want to believe. Vote for who you want to vote for. But don't you dare mistreat those who are made in the image of God. And who's made in the image of God? Who is it that's made? Come on, who's it, who is it that's made in the image of God? Everybody. All people. It's all people. And some of you say, well, surely not all people. Yes, all people. But I don't like them. They're not on my side. Everyone will know that we're disciples by what? Everyone will know that we're disciples by our love, by our love. Love one another as I have loved you. Again, let me ask you, do you want this for you? Remember, this is God's will for us, not mine. It's God's will for us. It is God's will for all His followers. And if we want this, I pray that we can do two things, two things. So here's the two things. Here's the first one. Pray as Jesus prayed. Pray as Jesus prayed. Pray for oneness, for unity, unity in, in, in your own heart and unity amongst your brothers, unity with those who do not think like you. Pray like this. Heavenly Father, make us one so we can influence many. Make us one so we can influence many. Our unity, listen, our unity has a profound in impact and effect on this world. We may not agree with one another, but we can love one another. Brothers and sisters, the world is watching us. And what we do speaks louder than the 10,000 words which say otherwise. Here's number two. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. Let me say that again. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. In two weeks, two weeks, we're going to get around to this a little bit more. But this will mean sitting down and listening with another and asking questions without judgment. It's about keeping one's lips closed while the other person speaks. It's about listening. It's about opening our ears and closing our mouth. And if this comes out of your mouth, well, I just can't understand how anyone could believe that. Well, you just made a confession. 
you really don't know how others think, and you're not willing to find out what others think. You confess that you haven't really spent any time with someone with an opposing view. So some of us really don't understand, and some of us don't really know, and some of us don't really care. So look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically and be open to the possibility that your mind could be changed. I hear some of you say right now, James, you have to say these things. You're just a preacher. You're just doing your job, aren't you? You're just a little naive, aren't you? What's being naive? Being naive is believing that Christ's church has no impact on this world. That's being naive. It's believing that Christ's church should come in second to our political structure. That's being naive. Jesus said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ started a movement, a movement that changed Western civilization as we know it, a movement that will not die no matter how hard this world tries. The gates of hell, no matter what Satan throws at it, will win. The church will win. So, what wins over everything? What wins over everything? Love wins, does it not? So, what would happen if we had a Jesus first politics? Maybe, just maybe, we would change the world by our witness to others, not for a kingdom of men, but for a kingdom of heaven. Here's the last thing I want to say. Write it down. Disagree politically. Love unconditionally. And continue to pray for unity. I love each and every one of you very much. May God bless you as we go through this political season. And we, may we make unity the number one thing in our life. You can put on your mask. Let's stand. And